The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. John 7, 37. Listen to this. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, is a feast of tabernacles when they celebrated the fact that God had brought them through the wilderness journeys and brought them safely into the promised land. And so they're commemorating this during the days of Jesus. And it says, on the first day, the great day of the feast, and it's called the great day because this was the day when the celebration of God providing water for a million people. You ever done that? Uh, He provided water for this traveling band of Jews as they were going towards the promised land. And every day they celebrated it this way. The priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam. And I got to tell you, the Pool of Siloam is so significant because it means the Pool of the Sent One. And that's one of the titles of Jesus, the Messiah. It says, And he says, uh, what they would do is they'd go to the Pool of Siloam, the priests would, and they would, get, they would get water with a golden pitcher. And then they would make a procession back to the temple and pour it out next to the altar. And this was to commemorate the fact that God had provided for them during that entire time of traveling to the promised land. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I mean, going camping is one thing. That's, that's tough enough, isn't it? They'll have to light the campfire and everything. But can you imagine taking a million people through the desert to go to the promised land? It was amazing. And so they commemorated it. And Jesus, on that day, when there was no, they didn't carry any water back to the temple, and they would be, in fact, they were going to begin commemorating the light, the way they commemorated God's light leading them. Do you remember the story of them going through the wilderness uh, on that long, long journey? And God would lead them by a pillar of fire in the day, I mean in the night, and a pillar of cloud in the day. <laughs> I mean, think about that. This is how God led his people. He would, he would, they could see God moving in a particular direction and they would follow him. And so the next thing they commemorate is the light. And they built this humongous candelabra that they would bring into the city to remember what God had done. And not only giving them water to sustain life, but he gave them light to lead them where they needed to go. And so they're commemorating this. And on this day, great day, the great day of the feast, it's the day between those two celebrations. And then notice what he says here. He says, on this day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. You know what cried out means? It means he yelled. He spoke with a loud voice because he wanted their attention. And he says to them, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now the context tells you the kind of thirst he's talking about. He's talking about their spiritual thirst. If they need the presence of God, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, not only is God going to quench the thirst of the person who comes to Jesus, but he's going to make them a source of life in the, in the lives of other people. And so he says, uh, and he's going to, he's going to, give them what they need, and then uh, John explains what he's talking about. This is, this is kind of humorous to me, because Jesus said these words, but John explains it. He's writing this. And so he explains 
50 years later, when he's writing this letter, he still remembers exactly what he said and what he meant by it. And this is what he says. He says, but this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That is, he had not yet ascended back to the Father. Now, this is consistent with the New Testament testimony that when Jesus went back to the Father, he was going to pour out the Spirit on his people, which means that the Holy Spirit would come and he would, he would give them direction. He would open their eyes so they could see what was really there, what spiritual truth really was. The Spirit was going to come and he was going to rest on every single follower of Jesus. And so he explained that to them. And it only took him one verse. It would probably take me about a hundred But he said it very briefly. He says he was talking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified or he had not yet ascended to the right hand of God. This event of Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father is the thing that splits the ages. We saw uh, last week, I guess it was, that the coming of Christ to the earth unveiled a brand new truth. It's called the mystery of Christ. And it is that not only Jews could enter into a relationship with God, but Gentiles, ordinary old Gentiles like you, that he paved a way for us to come into a living relationship with the the God of the universe. And so that was the division then. Now, 33 years later, Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And it's when he gets to the right hand of the Father that Jesus is going to manifest his power and his presence in a brand new way. And that's what he's talking about in John 14. He's going to start manifesting himself through his people, through you, through those of you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When, the, when this ascension takes place, he's going to the Father, and the Father says, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All he means by that, until you have you begin to manifest and exercise absolute authority over the creation of God. And how, is it, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to that place? Well, this is what uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is all about. If you'll turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 tells us the kind of people we must be if we're going to fulfill this mission that Jesus Christ has given us. He's called us to something. He calls it a calling. In other words, Jesus Christ has called his people for a very special purpose. Let me just read a few verses from Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. To, that's Paul. Paul was a prisoner of the Lord. And why he is saying that is, I have the authority to exhort you because I have suffered for Christ. And so what I'm telling you isn't selfishness. It's not me wanting something from you. I want to tell you what you must be in order to fulfill your calling. And your calling is that Christ has called you to be his representatives in this fallen world, in this world of spiritual darkness. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So you've been called to represent Christ in a fallen world. You've been called to to represent him in a way that people get a true picture of who he is. What is he really like? And who is he, this son of God? He goes on, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, those are all things that we must have. Don't uh, stick your elbow in your 
spouse's side. Just take this. Receive it from the Lord Jesus. This is what he's telling you. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and in in the bond of peace. In other words, unity and harmony are what we must have if we're going to represent Christ. Can you imagine what a distorted perception people would get of the Lord Jesus Christ if we were selfish and divided and always at each other's throats? Can you understand that? This makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And why is this necessary? He's told us in the first three verses, this is what we have been called to do. And the reason it's necessary for us to live like this, to have these characteristics, these qualities, is because of what we are told about the mission that we are on. I want, to, I want you to turn with me to another passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. I've read this to you many times, but let me read it to you again. 1 Peter, right after uh, James, 1 Peter chapter 4. It's Hebrews, James, and then 1 Peter. And listen to this. This is the apostle Peter who is instructing the followers of Jesus about this very thing. He says, the end of all things has drawn near. All he means by that is Christ has gone back to the Father. And now we're living in the final phase of God's program for this earth. And he says, the end of all things is drawn near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Because if we're going to be the people of God who do greater works than Jesus because of his power and his enabling us, then he says, you're going to have to be ready to pray. You're going to have to learn how to pray together. And that's what this means. The purpose of prayer is quite literally. That is prayer meetings when we get together to pray. And he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Whose sins? Well, yours and mine. We can actually get along. We can actually love each other even though we are still marked by sin. We still are not perfect. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that I stand up here every week and look at you. I've noticed that we're not perfect yet. We haven't been transformed in the image of Christ yet. And so we have to, and if we're going to represent Christ, we have to know how to get along. And then he says, be hospitable to one another without complaint, without murmuring. Hospitality is when you share what's yours to meet the needs of others. And he says, we're to do that without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me explain something about this. This took place when Jesus ascended to the Father. As I read to you in John 7, the the gifts, the Spirit was not poured out and spiritual gifts were not given until Jesus went back to the Father. So you are post-ascension believers. That means that you have received the Spirit And you have received a spiritual gift so that you would know how you would be able to dispense God's grace into people's lives. But how? Dispense God's grace in what way? Well, in the way that you've been gifted. The grace of God is what we need all the time. It means God is giving himself to us exactly what we need. But it comes through the gifts of fellow believers. That's why he's gifted each one of us. A, A steward is somebody who distributes the, the goods of a household, because this, the owner of the household has provided them. And so what we are to be doing as God's people is dispensing God's grace to one another. Just what you saw, the picture of that little boy, Frank, that's a great name, huh? And he, 
that he, uh, he needs help. And you get to, if you desire to, to dispense God's grace by giving to help meet his need. That's what spiritual gifts are for. Spiritual gifts, Paul lists 20 different gifts. Peter says there's basically two kinds of gifts. There are serving gifts and speaking gifts. If you have a speaking gift, you dispense God's grace by speaking, either teaching, proclaiming, sharing the gospel, whatever it is. But if you have a serving gift, you dispense God's grace by serving people. Serving people. I was talking to a, a guy on the phone the other night, I haven't talked to him in a long time, and he called me up and told me about he's got cancer and he's fighting this. But as we were talking, he began to, we, we have a mutual friend that we've known really well, and he begins telling me about what he likes about this guy, what so has impressed him so much. It's because he knows how to make people know they're loved. You know anybody like that? That when you get in their presence, you know you're being loved by this person. And that's exactly what we are supposed to be exercising as we live the Christian life. We're supposed to be dispensing God's grace in the way that's needed with according to the gift and in the power of the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled church is a church that manifests the character of Jesus Christ in their relationships with each other and others outside. When we are manifesting the kind of character that Jesus Christ has, which is described in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, faith, those are, those are the different aspects of the character of Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit empowers you to manifest that characteristic, that's how God's grace is dispensed into people's lives. And I tell you, that, that passage in, in John 14 really grabbed me by the neck. I couldn't believe it. That Jesus said, the first time I heard that, I remember, it just totally stunned me. Jesus said, he who believes in me, he will, he will do the same works that I do and greater works than these. And so that, I don't know how you get around that. That's as clear as day that he's going to use you, and the reason there are greater works is not because there's more of us, it's because we are doing it under the supervision of Jesus Christ. He moves your heart to love people. He moves your heart to be stable, to be loving, to be kind. He, he moves your heart to have the same character as he does. And so the works that we do are the manifestation of the very character of Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful. You know, for example, when you, you know that you should speak to somebody who needs to hear the truth, but you don't want to tell them the truth in a way that's going to drive them away from you. You want to speak the truth to them in a way that would draw them close. You speak the truth in love. And that is a difficult thing to do if you haven't tried it. It's so much easier just to ignore people that act like your enemy than it is to speak truth and love to them. But that's what he's called us to do. And that's a great work. That's a work that only, can only come about through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God manifests his mighty power in our lives by moving our hearts to meet the needs of people. And so when you're looking at that picture, that's exactly what I desire to happen, that the Spirit of God would move your hearts to say, I, want, I can only do something small, but I want to do it because I want to manifest my my calling to be a dispenser of God's grace. Well, he's absent. He's at the right hand of the Father, and we're here. All the needy people are down here, by the way. There are no needy people in heaven. 
So while you're here, you get the opportunity to dispense God's grace into the lives of people. That's what this period of time is all about. It's about us being the the channels through which Jesus Christ is going to manifest his glory and his grace into people's lives. And so we can't resist. I I think one of the most important points here in, in all these verses is this, that we have to know how to love each other before we can be representatives of Jesus Christ to other people. I've been in church all my life. I know that Christians know how to hate each other because I've seen it happen. I've seen Christians who have such a dislike for certain people that they totally avoid them. They want nothing to do with them. And that's a total shame in light of the calling that we have. We have been called to be representatives of Christ, to actually do greater works than he does that he did when he was here. So here we are on the earth where a humanity that has been has fallen and is alienated from God and we have been kept here so that we can pour into their lives the grace that God poured into our lives through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And we're going to be doing this until he comes. Now, let me just go through this passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, that is, this calling to be the representatives of Jesus Christ, which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. You know what humility is? Okay, I won't define it. You know what it is. Humility. With all humility and gentleness. That means that's something that when you manifest humility and gentleness, that people get the feeling that you actually care about them. And he goes on, he says, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. He's talking about how we treat each other. We're to be tolerant with each other. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body. Now he begins to talk about what we have in common. He mentions seven things. These are the seven major areas of biblical teaching. He says there's one body, one spirit, the body is talking about the, the church of Jesus Christ, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What was Christ's gift? Well, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, you can see what it is. It was Jesus. He sent his son. He gave his son for us. A picture of that was Abraham. If you remember, Abraham, uh, was God called him and said, I'm going to give you a son. And he had no son. And he wanted to do it himself. He didn't want God to have to do it. But God gives him a son. But then God says, I want you to offer your son up as an offering. Why in the world would he want that? Because he wanted him to give us a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. That he came into the world to save us and it was going to cost him his life. Because Jesus in this world was living in a dangerous place. Because Jesus was living in absolute obedience to his father, the God of the universe. And that's one thing that the people in the world when he was here did not like. And that was a person who thought they could live in perfect obedience to the God of the universe. They wanted him to be like himself, themselves. But Jesus did live in perfect obedience. 
And it says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host a, captive, uh, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is a picture of the, what's called the victorious um, entree, into, entry into the, uh, into the city of Rome. When a Roman general went out to war and he won the war, he would bring the spoils of that war back into the city, and they would have a celebration. And he would bring into the city all these captives that he took captive, and all these things, all this booty that he took. He brings it back into the city, and it was a great celebration. But it says when Jesus went back to the Father, he took a host of captives. Who was that? It was the people he saved. And he brings them right back into the presence of God. And there's this great rejoicing because he has won this battle. He has gone to the cross and purchased us. He has died for our sins so that we could be set free. And so this was a triumphal entry. And he says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Humility always comes before exaltation. In other words, we're told over and over again in the New Testament, if we'll humble ourselves, God will lift us up at the proper time. If we exalt ourselves, we're going to be humbled. If we humble ourselves, we're going to be exalted. And this is what God has called us to do, just like his son, is for us to humble ourselves and be willing to understand that, he, that Jesus Christ has called us to serve in this way as his representatives. And he says, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He had come all the way from heaven to this earth. And yet now he's going back to the Father. And he's offering to the Father as an offering of praise and adoration and worship, the people that he had saved. And that's who we are, because we have believed in him. All of us who have put our faith in Christ have been saved. The Bible puts it this way. It says, this, this is what God said. This is God's testimony. God's testimony is that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, which includes everything involved in this relationship now. We are right with God. We've been brought near to God. We have been forgiven our sins, and we've been made whole. And, and the other thing is that he mentions in 1 John 5, 11, and 12 is we've received eternal life. Isn't it great to have eternal life? But it, it isn't. The great thing is not that you're going to live forever. There's a lot of people who have lived a long life, and they're more miserable now than when they were young. But eternal life is having a certain kind of life. This is what Jesus said about it. He said that this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It has to do with our relationship with God. We are alive to God. We have a relationship with God. He is our Father, and he treats us like his children when we put our faith in Christ. So he says, Jesus Christ had life in himself, and all those who believe in him receive that life as their own. And those who don't have Christ don't have eternal life. They don't have the capacity to actually know God as a Father. It takes nothing less than Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in verse 11, he says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Here he is giving gifts. This time he's, he's using it to describe the men and women that he gave to the church. He says, some, prof, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He describes these gifted men as gifts to the church. Why? Why did he give them to them? Here is, he tells us in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. In other words, 
The reason he gave these men is so that they would minister in such a way that those who heard them and followed them would be equipped as saints in serving God to the building up of the body of Christ. Equipping, they, are here to, they were here to equip people, but get this. The word equipping means it's used primarily in the New Testament of mending nets. What's wrong with a net that has a big hole in it? What if the, what if the cords have ripped and there's a big hole in it? What's that net good for? Nothing much at all. In other words, it has to be intact. That's how the church of Jesus Christ is. We have to be rightly related to each other. All the rips and tears have to be repaired, and that's why, that's why he sent these men to the church, is to give them the truth and correct them when they were wrong and encourage them when they're discouraged. They're here in order to fulfill their calling, their calling of doing the work of Christ in his absence. Isn't that amazing? That's your calling. You ought to write that on your, and put a little piece of paper and put it on your refrigerator. You've been called, and your calling is this. Your calling is to do the works of Christ in his power in order to fulfill his will. We are all servants of Christ. We are all those that the Spirit has come to live in so that we could fulfill his will in the world today, even though he's not here. Every time we come to the Lord's table, it's usually over there, it's not there now, but we come to the Lord's table, and what we do is we partake of the Lord's Supper to remind us of who Jesus Christ is and who we are. We've been left here to accomplish something, and that accomplishment is to fulfill this calling of doing works that open the eyes of people to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the greatest event in a person's life is when they come they come to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. You don't become a Christian by believing a set of doctrines or, or taking some physical step. You come to be a follower of Christ by having an encounter with him. When he comes into your life and opens your eyes to who he is, and you rest your faith and your trust in him, it changes everything. And that's why Paul wrote those words, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the hope of glory is your hope of glory. In other words, by by Christ coming to live within you, he's going to change you into his very image. And until you get there, he says, I want you to stay busy. I want you to keep be trusting the Holy Spirit and using the spiritual gift that I've given you so that you can manifest the righteous holiness of God in this world. This is kind of like the journey to to the promised land. They're out there in the wilderness, and they needed a pillar of fire to guide them at night and a pillar of cloud to, to lead them in the daytime because they were in a strange place, far removed from all that they had known about God in the temple in Jerusalem. And here we are living in a world that's in spiritual darkness, that this world is filled with people who have never come to know who their creator is. They've never come to know that he sent his son into the world to rescue them from their alienation from him and to fulfill in their hearts and lives the very reason for which they were created. You were created to have a relationship with God, and you were created to do the work of God, to fulfill the calling what Jesus Christ has given you to do. And so this whole thing of of God giving men to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry 
is a wonderful gift from him. In verse 14, he says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He's describing an immature church. He's describing what you will see on TV a lot of times. It's, it's the silliness of pursuing things that have nothing to do with the living Christ who came to die for you in order to restore you in your relationship with God, the very one who created you. That's below our pay grade, so to speak, as they say. In other words, we've been called to a higher calling, and that higher calling is to engage our lives, to pour out ourselves in order to fulfill the will and work of Jesus Christ. Have you ever told somebody, for the, and they heard it for the first time, about what, why Jesus Christ came into this world? Could you tell somebody the gospel? Now, most of us think we could because we've been around Christians our whole life. We've been grown up in church, and so we know all this language. You know 1 Corinthians 14. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, and he was seen by over 500 people at one time. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gift that God's given you to use in your life in this world. Every, every time you speak those words, when I, I love the, the thought that when I'm speaking to somebody and I'm telling them the gospel, those words that I'm listening to coming out of my mouth are the words of the living God, the good news that he gave us. This is why he sent his son. It was to draw us close to him. It was to bring us into relationship with him and to secure our lives for all eternity. I was reading in the, I was reading somewhere, I don't know where it was at, but it was about the fact that in America, the most prized thing, the thing that people value more than anything else, is security. Security. And not just physical security, not your physical security, but the security of all that stuff that you have. You know that stuff that you, you, you push it with all your might into the garage and, and shut the door? Maybe the whole family has to get together and close the door. You don't want that to be stolen. My, uh, I've told you before, my wife's always trying to get me to get rid of my books. And she has this attitude that you don't need these books. You've either read them or you haven't read them and you've had them for so long. Why should you keep them? Well, because I prize security. I want them to be secure. <laughs> I don't want them to be stolen from me. But see, God has settled that issue for you. He's not only promised to save you and bring you into the presence of his Father, he's promised to keep you. He's promised to make you secure in your Christian life, and you're secure enough that you can pour yourselves out in the lives of other people. You know, when I was watching that picture, I've heard this story, and I was thinking about that little boy named Frank, that he... um, wouldn't it be easy just to turn your eyes away from that? I mean, that, that's a picture. In fact, we showed it after the kids left because we didn't know for sure if parents would want to see their, their little kids see some horrible picture like that. And you kind of want to turn away. You want to stay away from those needy people that you cannot help or fix because you forgot you have the Holy Spirit. You forgot that Jesus Christ has equipped you to do his works and greater works than these. He's put you in this world to actually pour your life out for other people. And you'll experience what it's like to have a relationship with the living God. And so he says, 
we should no longer be like children tossed here and there by the waves and carried by, by every wind of doctrine. You want to hear some winds of doctrine? You just get on TV and watch a few programs and you'll see some. Things that are not biblical at all. And yet they please the ear. See, this, this truth that we, we see here, what we're talking about, is a truth that a lot of people don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that I have some responsibility, some calling to do something as I live here on this earth. I'm waiting until I get to heaven, then I'll do all kinds of stuff. We'll probably play heavenly basketball or something. You know? But to actually pour myself out now? Is that what I'm supposed to do? I thought I was supposed to preserve my life and my stuff until Jesus comes. No, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to live in perfect communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and to accomplish his work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you ever experience the, power, the Spirit of God empowering you to do the will of Christ, you'll never forget it. It's better than anything you've ever experienced. It's a glorious reality. It's something that will become a habit in your life if you experience it. It's what God made you for. It's the way he created you in a particular way, and he's gifted you in a particular way because he wants to use you for his glory. And then he says in verse 15, but in contrast to uh, being children, he says, speaking the truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I hope you get the point. The point is, is that the church of Jesus Christ has to be in such a relationship with Christ that they're growing, that they're growing more like Christ because God has called you to fulfill works that Jesus fulfilled. He's calling you to love people the way Jesus loved people. He's calling you to be involved in people's lives who are very needy because that's what Jesus did. And he has, he has called you to be like Jesus. And he's called us as a, as a body of Christ to be we are part of the body of Christ, which is, is so big we can't count the numbers anymore because so many of us are in heaven already. I'm not, but some of us, members of the body of Christ, are in heaven. And so what he wants to do is to use us to do just what Jesus did. You remember those scenes in the, in the Gospels that you read, and when you see Jesus actually loving people that you knew that you couldn't, I couldn't have done that, if I had a, a way to, you know, just practice for six months. How does he love people like that? How is it that he could do that? Well, he says, greater works than I do, you're going to do. Because he is at work in your life. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And he's able to produce in you the kind of love that Christ had for people. And so we ought to, in our own minds, realize that this is why we're still here. We are here to serve God by living as just as Jesus did, loving people just as Jesus did. That's why he saved us. That's why he's equipped us. You know, if, if, uh, if somebody could object and say, well, wait a minute, I'm just not like that. I can't do what Jesus did. He's, he's the son of God. I'm just a mere man who's tired. How can I possibly do anything like that? Well, that's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. And that's why he gave you a spiritual gift is so you could serve him and have the joy of serving Christ in a way that seems impossible to you. 
He wants you. And, you know, once in a while, we'll get a, we'll get a look at somebody. That's seen, and we look at their lifestyle, some Christian. We had, uh, if you remember, Calvin, who came over and gave his testimony. He had been in prison. He said, he'd, he said he'd been in every prison in California, but later I asked him. He, no, he had not been in every single one, but he had been in more than half. He lived his adult life in prison, and then God saved him. And all he wanted to do was to serve Christ, just to serve Christ, because he felt that he had been so richly blessed by what Christ did in his life while he was in prison, when he came to faith in Christ, that he wanted to give himself back to the living Christ. He wanted God to use him. And that's exactly what he's doing. And so Paul says in verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer at just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. You know what futility of their mind is? That's empty-headedness. It's the idea that you don't even think, you don't even let yourself think about the glory of Christ. You don't even let yourself think about accomplishing in the power of the Spirit what God has called you to accomplish. And Gentiles were a common way for the Jews to refer to people who didn't know God, far from God, knew nothing about God, had no relationship with God. But what God has done, he has called us who were so far away and not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. We're so far from God's people, so far from God, and yet he has called us to himself. And so he says, I don't want you to walk like that anymore. That's not who you are. You are somebody in whom Christ is residing and he's working in your life. You know what I love about what the Bible says about God's work in our lives? He does it without your help. Those whom he foreloved, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of Christ, which means God has a plan for conforming you. And you don't know what it is. Every once in a while you, you, you discover some of the things that it is because it includes all kinds of stuff you would want him to keep out of the plan. But he's into conforming us into the image of his son. And so he uses whatever he needs to use, whatever he wants to use in order to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we didn't, uh, we didn't talk too much about the relationship of spiritual gifts, gifts and the exaltation of Christ. Do you see the, why the timing was so crucial? What did the Father want? What did the Father want when Christians walked with Christ and did the works of Christ and greater works than these? What did the Father want? He wanted his Son to be glorified. And so he waited until the exaltation of Christ before he gave us these spiritual gifts or even the Holy Spirit to fulfill his will. Why was that? So that Christ would receive the glory. And if you listen to people testify, they'll tell you, it's Christ, it's not me, it's Christ. He is the one who's been doing this work in me. One of the greatest joys in all of life is when you're serious enough and dependent enough on the Spirit of God that you actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and you see them come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what he's called us to. That's why we're still here. That is our calling. And so uh, we wanna, we, if we want to know how to fulfill our new calling, we read Ephesians 4. It tells us. For one thing, we've got to stop hating each other and despising each other and using language to tear each other down. 
He says, every time a believer talks to another believer and, and uses words to tear them down, to let them know they're not so special, it says it grieves the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because it's the Holy Spirit who's conforming us into the image of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who is changing us and making us like his son. So I, I, just, I know I can just keep hammering away at this, but I, what I want to do is I want you to really consider this, that God has actually placed you in this world at this time with the gift that you have and the relationship you have with Christ in order to fulfill this calling to which he has called you. He has called you to something so glorious and so wonderful, and he wants you to take it seriously. And he wants you to take each step that you know you need to take in order to fulfill this calling. Let me pray for you. Our Father, how we thank you for the plans that you have for us are so far beyond what we could ever imagine. To think that you called us, Father, to live our lives as Christ lived his. To live our lives in total dependence on you and love for one another. We just pray that you'd work in us that you would work in our congregation, that we would come to love one another and be kind to one another and use words of encouragement and upbuilding with one another so that we could be those who fulfill this calling that you have called us to. We want to see you at work in people's lives. First, in our lives, to change us, to conform us to the image of your Son, and then to change the lives of those that you put in our path, that we could speak to them the words of life, of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would empower us and enable us, Father, and help us to encourage each other. Help us to be people who actually are a more than just a group. We're more than just a crowd. We are a people that have been bonded together by the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be continually in prayer for one another, that you would use us for your glory and for the glory of your Son. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us in Christ. Help us to respond to our calling, Father. Help us to be engaged in this calling, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.